Hello and welcome to the Power in the Key podcast. I'm your host, Neil Winterton, and joining me on the line as he does every week and fresh off his finals MVP winning performance where he scorched a net for a team high 15 points to lead his team to the championship, it's Ben Cad. How are you, Caddy? Oh, thanks for the intro, Neil, and yet feeling feeling quite good after that. It was a bit of a three-day bender following the C2 Monday Night Men's uh, <laughs> Basketball Premiership. But, um, yeah, as we're well should be. And, and, um, yeah, I've, I've finished uh, gloating to my... Two two brothers who were probably the only two other people interested in hearing about it, but um, no, it was good to get the W and a shout out to my uh, teammates. Not sure if any of them listened to the podcast, but to the B Lily Ballers, um, well done on a on a well deserved premiership win. Fantastic, mate. And I thought initially we'd probably spend the first ten minutes just running through how you netted those fifteen points, whether <laughs> you just sort of caught fire from the outside or whether you were just a bit of a maestro in the pick and roll, a la Chris Paul. But I'm not sure that the audience would really want to listen to too much of that. So what we will actually do is we're going to talk about uh, how we think the best players in the league shape up. So we've spoken a number of times about how even the MVP discussion has been this year. And I think that sort of illustrates how how good the top-end talent in the league is at the moment. So we're going to rank our top 15 players in the league, which is always a a really good uh, thing to do because it can be quite subjective. The way we're going to rank this is we're going to rate these players as if we were going into a seven-game series, a seven-game final series for the championship win. So that's how we're going to rank these. I don't know how you approach this, Caddy, but I've sort of weighted playoff, past playoff performance pretty heavily. Obviously, you need to consider regular season stats as well and regular season performances because you obviously need to be able to make the playoffs and, and earn yourself a good seed. So the regular season is obviously very important, but I, I weighted the, uh, the the playoff performances quite heavily. How, how did you tackle it? Yeah, look, I think I was pretty um, pretty keen to stay away from just sort of making it a, a general um, 2021 MVP conversation because I think we've done a bit of that earlier in the podcast series and I'm sure we'll, we'll run over it again towards the end. So I did like the concept of sort of really breaking it down and, and picking guys who, you know, when, when push comes to shove are the guys you want to really be relying on. And, you know, and some of, you know the majority of these these players will be the ones that are uh, talked about as, you know, the, the MVP leading players almost. But I think there, there are a few guys that will probably be ranked slightly higher on previous uh, performances um, in the playoffs and previous um, history of what they've been able to do in the league. And there's a few guys that are on this list that I'm sure we'll debate about where, where they currently sit just because they haven't, being able to as yet deliver on the big stage and, and take their team to the to the promised land. No doubt. So I think the biggest question is, who have we got at number one? Has anybody in your mind been able to unseat LeBron James, Caddy? Who have you got at number one? No, look, I went with LeBron still. I think, you know, last year he was able to show, you know, even though at a really, you know, an old age compared to a lot of his um, competitors, that he was able to still take, take on all the tribulations that last season threw it in with the COVID stoppage and then the bubble at the end of the season he was still able to to take his team all the way to the title yes Anthony Davis was a, a key piece of it and that there's no no chance they probably would have been able to do it without him being added to the team but I think LeBron in, the, in those finals games was still the one that um, had to be stopped and, and Miami just didn't have an answer for him in the end and I think until we can see you know a failure um, in this year's playoffs from LeBron that I think he's still the guy that, that everyone has to get over. And, you know, not to say each and every year he's been able to deliver. You know, Steph Curry and the Warriors had the better of him over a number of years. But I think when all things are considered, if he's up and running, then he's still the player that I'd be picking to play as the number one slot in any any playoff game. It's quite incredible, isn't it, that a guy in his 18th season, now when he came into the league, that was the super draft with Wade, Mallow and Bosch. Now, Wade's been retired for two years 
and it's been pretty much five five years since Wade's been an all-star level player. Mallow's still going around, but obviously a much diminished uh, Mallow at the moment, and it's been a good five or six years since he's played at an all-star level. And Chris Bosch obviously had to retire early due to some blood clot issues, so he's been out of the league for about five or so years now. So the, the, the top-end players in that super draft have all basically not played at an, just an all-star level even for five to six years. And here's LeBron in his 18th season. Now, given he was obviously a year or two younger than some of those guys because he came straight out of high school, but to be in your 18th season and still be considered pretty much universally to still be the best player in the NBA, despite the fact that incredibly he hasn't won the MVP for eight seasons since 2012-13, which, which you know, we, we've heard some guys break that down. And I think it was Ryan Rossillo did that really well a month or two ago when there was a bit of a kick up about the fact that LeBron hadn't won it for eight years. But if you do actually break down the regular season over the past eight years, it's probably fair enough that he hadn't won in the last eight years because he's, he's generally sort of you know, not sleepwalk, but, you know, saved himself during the regular season and then ramped it right up and proved to everybody in the last eight years that he has been the best player when the real stuff comes around. So at the moment, he's seventh in career minutes in regular season. And by the end of the year, he'll he'll pass Alvin Hayes and Jason Kidd and may even catch Kevin Garnett to be fourth all-time in career uh, regular season minutes. And at the moment, he's first in playoff minutes. He's 1,500 more than the second place, Tim Duncan. So to have all these miles on the odometer and to be still, you know, performing at such a great level in, in the in the finals, he's obviously won four titles and four finals MVPs. It, it's just really incredible for me, Caddy. That's the, the most incredible thing about the, the way LeBron James' career has gone. Yeah, and look, I would have been prepared to sort of elevate someone else over the top of him if he hadn't done what he'd done in the finals last year, he obviously missed the playoffs altogether in the, his first season at the Lakers. It was obviously a, a really disappointing season all around. Things just never got going for him. But to rebound like they did, win it the looked title. A little bit, sorry to cut you off. It looked a little bit like maybe there was starting to be a chink in the armour, didn't there? Because he got that sort of serious injury. It was the first time that he'd missed an extended period of time. And, and everybody sort of started to think, well, hang on, here we go. He's, we're starting to see the decline. But then obviously such a strong bounce back last year. Yeah, and his playoff numbers over 21 games last year were, you know, just incredible. 27.6 points. He had the 10.8 rebounds and 8.8 assists. And, and you run through, you know, his age and his, the amount of minutes he's played to be able to come out, lead his team to the to the championship at that level with those type of numbers all the way through the playoffs was quite incredible. So look at, you know, we've seen Kevin Durant have great, you know, playoff series with the Warriors. We've had we spoke about Curry. You know, we're waiting for Giannis. We're waiting for Embiid um, or any of these guys to to deliver on the big stage. And until they can get past LeBron at his peak in a you know championship level side, then I think he's as I said before, he's the he's the guy they're still going to get past. Yes, he is still king of the league as he likes to call himself. So, given you had LeBron at one, w- was he clearly number one? And and in saying that, who did you have at number two? Well, I had Kevin Durant at number two, and you know it's been hard to evaluate, obviously based on you know missing the entire uh, season last year, and then you know he came out of the block so well this year, and now you know he's obviously hasn't played now for a couple of months again. But I think all things being equal, if he's fit and healthy, like he he did look at the start of this season where you know his shooting numbers were terrific, he was you know playing a really um, important role in the Brooklyn team. He had you know star level talent around him. I think if he can get back to to full fitness, then. You know, if I was kicking in the schoolyard, I'd take Kevin Durant and, you know, his ability to hit clutch shots in playoff games, defend at a high level, um, stretch the floor. He can play you can play small with him at the five if you really even had to, and I'm sure we'll see Brooklyn do that um, in the playoffs this year. He's so versatile. Yeah, I just think from a pure scorer, 
got that winning pedigree as well. I, I, I've got him number two, and and just ahead of a few of these other guys that we mentioned, that I mentioned previously, that haven't quite delivered on the stage yet. Yeah, I've also got KD at number two as well. I think for me, he, and I said earlier that I was going to rate play, past playoff performance really highly, and his his playoff career averages are astounding: twenty nine point one points a game, seven point seven rebounds, four assists, a steal, and one point two blocks. Now that that's they're just absolutely incredible numbers for, for playoff. And there was probably a period there, uh, maybe those two years where he's in Golden State that. You, you could have mounted a pretty strong case that he'd maybe even overtaken LeBron. He went toe-to-toe with LeBron in those back-to-back finals there and won the finals MVP. Now, he obviously had a much stronger roster around him than LeBron did, and that you know clearly assisted him. But he, he, he was incredible both those seasons, and I reckon he may have even... If, if he didn't go past him, he was certainly right equal with LeBron at that stage. Now, you mentioned he's obviously had a couple of those injuries, and that, and that's the big doubt, it is, isn't it? Whether he can get back to that level, but we saw, you know, in the games that he's played so far this year, to be averaging twenty six points a game, six and a half rebounds, and six assists, shooting fifty two percent from the field. Obviously, really uh, efficient numbers there. So, so that that would indicate to me that he's that he's if he's not quite at a hundred percent of what we've had of Kevin Durant in the past, he's pretty bloody close. And when he's playing at that level, I think for me, he's he's the number two player in the NBA and probably the only one that can mount a strong case to be able to challenge LeBron because he's seven foot, he can shoot from anywhere, he's he's a really good defender. So he's got the, the total package. And I'm really looking forward to see seeing him, one, get back out on the court, which apparently is going to happen, I believe, maybe even Brooklyn's next game. And I'm really, really excited to see how he goes in the playoffs this year given how good he's been in the past. So I've also got KD at number two. Who, who did you land with on number three? Well, I might hand it back to you for number three and, and see um, whether you're just continuing to copy me or not, but you can go <laughs> number three first. You're a smart man, Caddy, so I, I would be uh, wise to copy you. Number three, I, I've gone for Kawhi Leonard. So, again, I said I was going to rate um, past playoff performances really well. So his he, last three playoff performances, we're looking at – 27 points a game, 7.8 rebounds, 4.8, 4.6 assists, nearly two steals a game, then 30 points a game, 28 points a game. His rebounding numbers jump right up in the playoffs, he, right above his, his usual regular season numbers, and, and he shoots really efficiently from the floor during the playoffs. He's a two-time finals MVP winner, obviously back a 1-1 in the San Antonio Spurs. Now, that one could have gone to obviously quite a few players, and, and he wasn't the best player on that team, but but he put it together and was able to come away with the finals MVP uh, win there back in his Spurs days. And then obviously when he went to Toronto, he was clearly the best player. He carried him through those series against Philly. We remember that shot that danced all around the rim and it dropped and, and got him through to the finals. And then he was obviously really good in the finals as well. So he's one of those players that the way he plays the game, he plays at his own speed. He never gets sped up. He's got that mid-range game that you know a lot of people frown upon, but in the playoffs, the mid-range games become so important, and the ability for these offensive players to be able to get to the mid-range and score one-on-one becomes so vital. And he's obviously an exceptional defender. He's won, I think, maybe two defensive players of the year, certainly at least one. So again, similar to KD, he brings a package on both ends of the floor. He's proven in in finals games. So for so for me, I landed with uh, Kawhi Leonard at number three. Yeah, really fair selection. Um, I've got him at number four, and I, the guy I might as well go with for my number three, and I agree with everything you said about Kawhi, and, and he's often so easily overlooked when, you, when you're talking in these type of lists because you get sort of sucked into you know the up-and-coming talent and the guys that are probably more easier on the eye potentially and, and have more of a profile. But I think, you know, as you mentioned, 
what he did in that, you know, really in that one season at Toronto really solidified everything that we we thought we knew about Kawhi, you know, as he sort of matured as a San Antonio Spurs. So for him to be able to lead that team um, in that one year that he, he was with them all the way to the title, and yes, we know that the team they played, the Golden State Warriors, had a number of issues through that um, playoffs and then finals final series. So potentially there, there, there could be an asterisk there, but I think the way Kawhi handled himself, he can go head-to-head with any of the best players in the league. His defensive prowess is, is such um, an important factor for what he does. So hard to argue with your selection. But the guy I've put just ahead of him, and it's more because I've, I've loved the way he's rebounded this year after only playing the five games in total last season, is Steph Curry. I still think if Steph's firing, playing, you know, playing nice and loose and free, and, and you know, when he's got his shot going from outside, I think he's still the, you know, the, for me, the third third guy I'd like to have out there. Um, he's been able to come back in this year, in, you know, in a, in a much more diminished uh, lineup that he's playing with with the Golden State Warriors, and he's been able to, you know, come out straight out of the blocks all season long and play, you know, really high-level basketball. He's averaging just under the 30 points a game at 29.7. He's got the six assists still. So, you know, he's still such an important player, shooting over the 40% from three on, you know, on nearly close to 12 attempts. So it's an incredible number in itself that he's been able to shoot, um, continue to shoot at such a high level when, you know, he just doesn't have the support around him on that Warriors team to to get better looks than, than what he's getting. So to think he's still been able to do that with the, the lineup they've got is um is unbelievable. So I'd, I'd have Curry just ahead of Kawhi in that number three spot. No, I, I like the selection. I'm a, I'm a huge Steph Curry fan. I had him down at six, but the, the next sort of rung I had really bunched close together and it was really difficult to differentiate between between them. But, yeah, I, I love Steph. You, you, you mentioned there how good he's been this season. His playoff performance have been a little overlooked. I think he everybody talks about the fact he's never won a finals MVP. And for me, it was ridiculous that he never won the one when they won their first title. And Iguodala got the finals MVP. Well, Curry's numbers in that finals were 26 points a game, 5.2 rebounds and 6.3 assists, all up on his stats that season, which he won the MVP in. Shot 44, 38 and 88 splits. So... He, he was really good. Iguodala was at 16 points, 5.8 rebounds and 4 assists. Now, he shot a good percentage from the field, but if you, if you think back to those finals, Steph was being double-teamed as soon as he crossed half-court. And Now, he might not be been getting the assist, but he was getting the hockey assist. He was getting the pass that led to the pass that led to the, the shooters in the corners that were wide open, and that was purely because Cleveland had identified that they needed to get the ball out of Steph Curry's hands to have any chance of being able to beat him. Now it obviously well, and, kudos, and kudos to um, to our man Matthew Dellavedova to uh, yeah. probably the, the yep. hound that really, particularly in those first uh, three or four games, really took Curry to task. And you know, I think by the obviously by the end of the series, Curry had, had, had sort of worn him out. And, and certainly I think, I think Dally ended up in hospital, didn't he, on a drip after <laughs> one of those games. But those first couple of um, games, watching Delhi, you know, a guy you know, coming out of country Victoria, taking on at that time the, the clearly the best player in the NBA, was just fascinating, and he, he really did take it up to him. And and you Certainly mentioned did. his numbers, you know, the twenty six points a game. He probably would have scored thirty five points a game if it hadn't been for that dogged defence that Delhi and his uh, Cleveland teammates were able to put in those first uh, few early games. Yeah, no doubt. So and, and and also Iggy got sort of lauded for his defense on LeBron James. Now he he certainly did play good defense. Iggy's always been a great defender, but you just you just look at LeBron's stats in those final series: thirty five point eight points a game, thirteen point three rebounds, and eight point eight assists. So 
it's not as if he totally shut down LeBron. He, he made LeBron work for those, and LeBron's percentages were sort of down on, on what you would usually expect. But I, I think it was, yeah, in hindsight, if we go back and look at that, I think Curry clearly deserved that that Finals MVP award, and maybe he's looked upon a little bit better on his playoff performance. But but if you glance at his playoff performances, that 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 year where they won that first title, he averaged twenty eight points a game, five rebounds, a six point six point four assists. So. Awesome numbers there. And then his next few seasons, 25 points a game, 28 points a game, 25 points a game, and 28 points a game. So he has produced in the playoffs and on the big stage, and I think he gets a little bit detracted against because he hasn't won that that finals MVP. They look at it and say he's got two MVPs, no finals MVPs. Um, and, yeah, and, and I think he gets harshly judged on by that. So for you to have him at three, that I, I, I love that because I think he gets sort of overlooked a little bit, Steph Curry. I had him at six, as I said, but I didn't think there was a huge difference between between these next group as players. Who did you – and you said you had Kawhi at four. Uh, yep. So who, who did you have at five? So then at five, I've gone – I couldn't go past the back-to-back reigning MVP – from the regular season, Giannis answers to Kumpo. So I think, albeit we haven't seen his best play in the playoffs, I think, you know, there's enough evidence and enough work that's been done for him to, you know, really be sitting alongside some of these names in terms of what he's been able to, you know, do from a performance point of view. And as I said, you know, we, we, we're all waiting for it to translate into playoff wins and, and you know, a really um, strong run through the playoffs. And we haven't been able to see it yet, but I think, he, you know what he's been able to achieve um, as a mid, you know, really a mid-round, first-round draft pick from those years ago. He was a almost a project pick at the, from the Milwaukee Bucks at the time, and he's been able to come in and change that franchise almost straight away. And his regular season numbers over the last few years have been absolutely incredible. And we, we've spoken about, you know, even this year's MVP race, where you know you'd be a brave man to. I'd be even even overlooking him again this year, but the last couple of years, he's you know just from a point scoring point of view, he's been at 27 points, 29 points, and nearly at 29 again. This year, his rebounding numbers at 12 and a half, 13 and a half, and 11 and a half. So these are his last three seasons from a regular season point of view. And we, you know, I obviously preface it by saying, you know, we we want to see more from him in the playoffs. We want to see the Milwaukee Bucks go deep. We want to see them really um, allow Giannis to to show us what he can do. You know, the knock on him is being that he, you know, just because of the limitations from the outside shot, does he have enough tricks in the half court to be able to, you know, stand up to the playoff pressure? But I think, you know, um, another year of experience under his belt, uh, I think they're the team for me. I'm, I'm keeping a close eye on as we go a bit deeper into the season to really see if they can um, get on a really strong run with that core of plays with Holiday and Middleton now into the lineup that they can, um, you know, really match it with anyone. In the East, and you know, and and it's really going to be on Giannis. All the focus will be on him to see how he does perform. And I think with the type of character that we think he is, he'll really relish that opportunity in, in this this year's playoff series. He'll certainly be looking forward to it. As you said, the, the type of character is he, he's all about championships. That's all he cares about. Um, I, I had Giannis at number four, so you did mention the fact that he hasn't quite performed in playoff series. I think. Look, I think Milwaukee were obviously a little bit disappointing last year, being knocked out uh, by a Miami in the second round. So that was obviously a disappointing exit. But you know, the bubble was a, a bit of a, an, an extraordinary circumstance. So, but even so, like last year in the playoffs, Giannis averaged twenty six point seven points a game, thirteen point eight rebounds, and five point seven assists in only thirty minutes a game, shooting fifty six percent from the field and a thirty one per. So it's not as if he was a no show. He sort of contributed a little bit. He did, his minutes were down a little bit. He had a couple of injuries and stuff like that. But it's not as if Giannis has come out and laid an egg in the playoff series. Even the season before, you look at his stats, 
25 and a half points a game, 12.3 rebounds, 4.9 assists, 1.1 steals and two blocks. So for me, yes, he hasn't been able to take Milwaukee as far as, you know, that I guess the outside world would have liked and certainly as far as he would have liked. Milwaukee have had a couple of really good regular seasons that haven't translated into into the success that they would have liked in the playoffs. But as I said, Giannis hasn't come out and laid an egg, in my opinion, anyway. Maybe he hasn't quite got to that level where you're confident of him. Certainly, the biggest knock on Giannis is certainly when the game slows down, you get late in those fourth quarters, can you give him the ball? Because he struggles to create his, his own offense. He struggles to shoot from the outside. He hasn't really got he hasn't got a really good go-to offensive move. If he come up with a skyhawk or a floater or, or something like that, he'd be almost unguardable. But because he hasn't got that go-to move, he can get bogged down a little bit when the game's on the line in the playoffs. So it's certainly a fair criticism to to label Giannis, you know, someone you can't go to at the end of the game. Um, so can you have somebody that you can't go to at the end of the game rank this high, you know, in, in the NBA, NBA hierarchy? I think you can, given the fact that he's a two-time MVP winner, as you said, reigning two-time MVP winner. He was defensive player of the year, of the year last year, so he obviously brings it on both ends of the floor. And, and another big knock on him has been his free throw shooting, which has basically got worse every every season as he's gone on. Well, there's a bit of light at the end of the tunnel at the moment. Since the All-Star break, now this is obviously a very small sample size. He's up to almost 79% from the free throw line. So if he can continue that for the rest of the season and into the playoffs and, you know, he's getting the ball down low and, and, the, and the guy and the opposition are hacking him and he's going to the free throw line and he's making his free throws, that's going to make a, a huge difference. So he's one player that... I'm really looking forward to seeing in the playoffs as well. Um, you've mentioned how good he's been this season. You know, you could argue that he, he should be right in the MVP race. We both think he's not going to win it just because of the narrative around that. But, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing how Giannis does go in the playoffs, much like you are. So he was number four for me. You had him at six for you, did you? Uh, number five. Number five. five. So, okay. So yeah. my number five I had was Nikola Jokic. Now, Jokic is obviously having an outstanding year this year. He's at the moment, you'd say he's the favourite for the MVP, probably because Joel Embiid missed quite a bit of time and LeBron's missed some time. There's been a number of guys that, that have missed some time, so maybe he's he's in that position because he's sort of last man standing. You could argue that. I wouldn't argue that because I, I when we had this MVP discussion a month or so ago or whenever it was, I, I had him at number one at that stage and, and Denver Nuggets have really got on a roll since the Aaron Gordon trade and we'll probably talk about them uh, in the next podcast. So his numbers this year are outstanding, 26.5 points a game, 11 rebounds, 8, 8.4 assists for a centre is incredible, 1.5 steals, which is really good. Now he gets labelled that he's only a so-so defender, and, and he is. He's a bit plotting. He, he's obviously not as agile as some of the other centres that you that that, uh, that are around in the NBA, but 1.5 steals is nothing to sneeze at, and, and, he, and his shooting splits at 56 43 and 86 are incredible. So he's having an outstanding year. And we've seen him in the playoffs really produce. So last year we saw the the 25 points a game, 13 rebounds, 8.4 assists. And season before, 24.5 points, 9.8 rebounds, 5.7 assists. So we've seen him obviously uh, carry... You know, certainly with the help of uh, Jamal Murray, to 
he carried uh, Denver to the to the Western Conference playoffs last year, which was seen as seen as a bit of a surprise. Now they they obviously had some luck along the way with the Clippers basically self imploding and and Utah with Mike Conley having that shot rattle out. So they certainly had some luck. They could have gone out in the first round, but they didn't. They got through to the to the Western Conference Finals, and and the way they're shaping up now, I think Jokic is really primed to have a really big run. Obviously to the end of the season. Hopefully, well, I think he'll win the MVP from here and then really springboard into the playoffs and, and, and carry this, this Denver team, who I think now are going to be a real threat to, to win the championship. And if they do that, well, obviously, you know, I've got Jokic at five. I'm not sure where you've got him, but he certainly has to be in the discussion this high up for me. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I, I am continuing to be excited about the, the Aaron Gordon acquisition and what that means for Jokic, particularly on the defensive end uh, during the playoffs. It does take a, a little bit of pressure off him. Um, to really concentrate on the things he does really well, and we saw it um, last year, just making clutch shot after clutch shot, passing his, you know, and passing to his teammates, you know, really getting them open to create. And look, I had him at number seven. I just had at this stage still, I, I thought this is the historical career that James Harden is having. I've got him just ahead of him in number six. So I've gone uh, Harden six, Jokic seven. He's the most and- interesting one, isn't he, on this list, Harden? Because he's obviously yeah, got an, an immense regular season record, but you look at his playoff record and probably not up to scratch. No, that's right. We had this, you know, similar argument with Giannis in terms of he hasn't been able to take his team over the top. And, you know, the the, the, the main issue for Harden is a few of these years that not just himself, but the Houston team had really good runs and really good seasons. They had, you know, really famous blow ups really in the playoffs, you know. That they've had some the, the, the real P one against the Clippers, where you know essentially he was benched a bench down the stretch in Game Six. It was guys like Josh Smith and uh, that really brought um, that Houston was incredible, back wasn't it? Particular game, so that's a real indictment uh, on Harden's career, and it's going to take you know some real winning deep in playoffs to for him to be able to alleviate that. And you know, there's every chance that might happen this this playoff series with this Brooklyn team if they can get. You know, he, he's just been announced that he's going to be out for the next 10 days with a hamstring strain and just as KD's about to come back in the lineup. So they really haven't had a, a, a long sample size of getting him um, or Harden. They've, only played, the, they've only played the seven games together. That, that's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it's actually disappointing because uh, there was so much excitement, you know, around how these guys were going to look on the team together. How was it going to fit? Who's, who was the ball going to be in the hands of down the stretch? And we really, you know, only had a bit of a tease of how it all looked. And I think there was enough to show that it was going to probably work um, pretty perfectly fine, albeit, you know, there'll be some issues defensively. But I think for me, James Harden's a really special basketball player. Um, probably one of, he'll go down as one of the best guards that's ever played the game and his scoring numbers um, are going to be historical by the time he's finished. So, look, as, as we mentioned, we want to see a championship ring for Harden to really, you know, set himself apart from, you know, a few of the competitors that are going to be on the list. But I think year on year over the past few seasons, his scoring numbers have just been absolutely crazy and he, he's having another um, really important season this year and, you know, in a, in a bit of a different role. So I've got him six just ahead of uh, Nikola Jokic, who, as you mentioned, you, you summarised his play really, really well and his his importance to Denver and the fact that he's probably tracking towards the MVP this season. I uh, just think Harden's probably got a few more uh, runs in the bank just at this stage over a bit more career longevity. Yeah, that's totally understandable. I had Harden at eight. Now, obviously, his regular season, you, you can't argue with that. He's won one MVP. He's finished in the top three probably another four or five times. You just look at his last three seasons before this season, 34 points a game, 36 points a game, 30 points a game. 
The season before that, he averaged 11.1 assists a game, which led the league. And this year, he's leading the league in assists at 11.2. So he's, he's an absolutely incredible uh, offensive player. He's been one of the best offensive players of all time. There's no question about that. But as I said, I was going to wait playoff uh, success really strongly in this. And you just glance at his playoff record, and look, he's put up some numbers. There's no there's no doubt about that. But you just look at his field goal percentage over his career, and I'll just pluck out some of the the seasons here. So, thirty eight percent, thirty nine percent, thirty seven percent, forty one percent, forty one percent, forty one percent, forty one percent. So, he's he just hasn't been able to produce at the level that he has during the regular season, where he's been an absolutely outstanding player, as I said. But when he's got to the playoff, when the defense is able to clamp down on him a little bit um, and really focus in and in on him, which happens, don't get me wrong, that happens during the regular season as well, because he, obviously he's their their number one guy that they're targeting. But when probably when they're refereeing as well, he hasn't been able to get to the free throw line quite as much during the playoffs as he had had in the regular season, which he's been really good at at drawing those fouls. So I just think, given the fact that he hasn't been able to produce at that level during the playoffs, has just sort of slid him down the pecking order a little bit for me. But I'm really interested to see how he goes this year. As KD is probably the number one offensive option, so maybe as that number two option, he doesn't get quite the attention, and the game comes a little bit easier for him, and he can and he can be a little bit more efficient, which has happened at the moment during the regular season, despite the fact KD has hardly been there. Just playing with Kyrie Irving has has made him a lot more efficient. So he's one that if they do win a title and and, and he does uh, produce it at, at a really high level, can certainly jump up up at this up upper level. Sorry. And I've just got him at number eight at the moment. I had Anthony Davis at number seven just ahead of him. and But basically because of how good he was last year in the playoffs. And not just that, he, he had produced uh, in his time at New Orleans as well in the playoffs. So when he's at New Orleans, he only went to two playoff series. But his, his first playoff series, he averaged 31 points a game, 11 rebounds and three blocks. His second playoff series for the Pelicans, 30 points a game, 13 rebounds and 2.3 blocks, and, and last season, obviously, he has a number two option behind LeBron James. He was able to average 27 points a game, 9.7 rebounds, 3.5 assists, 1.2 steals, 1.4 blocks, and shot 50, 57% from the field. And his defense in the final series was absolutely incredible. He, he, had, he had Miami spooked. There were stages where Miami would go into the lane. They had a clear shot. And they didn't take it because they were scared of wherever wherever Davis was. Now, he only had the, what did I say, the one and a half blocks a game. But he was so much more impactful on the defensive end than, than those numbers would suggest. Uh, yeah, I, I thought he had Miami really spooked during that playoff series. So he was outstanding offensively and he was the linchpin of their defense. And the defense was really the, the number one reason why the Lakers were able to get to the championship. So obviously there's that question mark around Davis you know, his health, he's, he's had these little nicks and these bumps that he seems to get right throughout his career where he miss, misses long periods of time. And he's obviously out at the moment and has been out for a long period of time. So there's that, that slight question mark whether you want to take him into a playoff series because of his durability. But we're going to assume that all these guys are healthy. We've spoken about KD. We're going to assume he's healthy. We're going to assume Davis is healthy at the start of, of this seven-game series and hope he gets through it. And if he does, I, I've got uh, Anthony Davis at number seven. Uh, where did he fall for you, Caddy? Okay, he was slightly down a little bit because I've got a, a couple of guys I'll talk about in a minute just ahead of him. I had him at number 10. So I uh, still got him as a top 10 player or you know, most valuable player, if you like, someone I'd, I'd you know, like to go to war in, um, particularly in a playoff scenario. But you know, all your points are really valid. His defense last year, as you mentioned, it was a, such a compliment for, um, 
to help LeBron James out at that end, um, it really allowed LeBron to go to work and save energy, at, you know, for his offensive prowess. But um, Davis was just so hard to get past and penetrate through for the Miami team. So, you know, we want to see him get back into full fitness and help LeBron sort of make that next push all the way through to this season. Because without him in that team, um, it's just not going to happen. He's so so important to everything that they do. You know, I think if anything, he becomes underrated because of you know he, of the fact he is playing behind LeBron's shadow in a sense. So um, it, it's hard to, you know, just you hope, try not to forget, you know, what a skilled player is. His three-point shooting in the playoffs last year was just um, extraordinary. Like, it was just so brutal for the opposition team where you think you've done everything right, you know, to stop a player and then the ball just shifts out to a, a seven-foot guy standing out on the corner and he just nailed um, three-point shot, important three-point shot. Makes after. life pretty difficult for the defence, doesn't it? Yeah, and it's demoralising. So, you know, he's such a weapon at that end of the floor as well as the defence. So I can see why you'd have him at seven. Look, I had him at 10, and, you know, my, my next selection here is number eight, and I've gone with Joel Embiid. Uh, I just think when you're talking, you know, we are talking about when players come back and if they're fully fit, and we're hoping Embiid's sort of at that point now. He's had a, um, a bit of a layoff, but um, he's, you know, he was basically the consensus MVP up until his injury, where he's you know, missed a significant time over the last month or so. But I think his form you know, at the start of this season was just incredible. And he was the Philadelphia 76ers were ranked number one in the East and was predominantly on the back of his improvement. I mean, his scoring numbers just in itself last year have gone from 23 points a game up to 29.9 this season. His rebound numbers and assist numbers are pretty similar. But that scoring punch, he's added nearly seven, uh, seven points a game. Uh, to that, and he's you know been able to shoot even a three pointer at a, a much better clip at nearly forty percent. He's shooting fifty two percent from the uh, from two, oh sorry, from the field in total. So he, he's a weapon. Uh, he's so important for him to stay healthy to give Philadelphia a chance. And you talk about you know there has been failures in the past uh, for Philadelphia. I mean they got swept last year out of the playoffs in four games, but you know Embiid still performed. He had the thirty points a game and twelve point three uh, rebounds. So you know he, he was still playing a really significant role for them. Yeah, as you said, he, he hasn't laid an egg in, in in terms of those numbers. They just weren't good enough in last year's playoffs and their team just wasn't strong enough and Boston. So Have, having Ben straight, Simmons straight out forward. in last year's playoffs obviously basically killed Philly's chance, didn't it? And and, and put a lot on, on, on Embiid's shoulders, certainly. Yeah, I think the same would happen this year if Simmons was not to be there. I, I don't think Philly can progress past probably the first, you know, well, certainly past the second round. And the same is if, if Embiid gets hurt, then Simmons, I don't think, has got the capability to carry uh, this 76ers team, you know, through to the second round, uh, past the second round either. So, look, if MB can come back and get back to that level he was at at the start of the year, you know, I think he he, he sits quite comfortably for me as a as a as a number eight, and uh, and I, you know, again, I'm excited to see what him and Simmons can do with this cast that they have around them, which for the first time in a number of years seems to actually fit and give them a chance to, you know, for Simmons and MB to complement each other rather than sort of, you know, getting in each other's way. So Embiid at eight for me. I had Davis at 10. And um, I don't know, you can you can hit on your next player. First, it might be someone similar to who I have at nine. Yeah, well, I, I had Embiid at nine. So, yeah, you've brought up all the reasons there for why you would have Embiid there. As you said, he was a front-runner for the MVP before he got injured. He's not, his numbers across the board this year have, have skyrocketed and his efficiency's gone up as well. So that's obviously an exceptional sign. He, he's arguably... If he's not the best defender in the league, he's certainly in the top handful. We'll say the top four or five defenders in the league. So similar to, to some of these other guys we've already spoken about, Giannis and, and Kawhi, he brings it on both ends. Um, you mentioned there that, that he put up some good numbers in the playoffs last year, and, and he did. 
a lot was was put on Embiid's shoulders last year, and it was difficult for him. If you look at his at his playoff package as a total, the the, the one reason I probably put him down a couple of rungs, I still got him at number nine, so that's that that's very high. You just look at his field goal percentage in his three playoffs series: forty three percent, forty two percent, and even last year when he had a, when he had a good playoff series was he was at forty six percent. So, for a center to be shooting the ball at such a low clip. He's an ideal, but but we know that a, a lot does go on Embiid's shoulders, so I, w- I won't penalise him too much. And he's the one player, as you said there, we're, we're really looking forward to see how this iteration of the Sixers goes. They, they've opened it up a little bit with, with Seth Curry and Danny Green, giving Embiid a lot more space than he had last year where he had Horford down there sort of clogging up the lane a little bit. So if he's ever going to be able to reduce in the finals, uh, sorry, in the playoffs, it's, it's this year. Given how well he's playing during the during the regular season, he'll carry that form into the playoffs. And, yeah, as you said, I'm really excited to see how the Sixers go. So he was my number nine. At number 10, I had I had Damian Lillard. So da- Lillard's so, well, been... I've got him at, I've got him at number nine. So we're, we're both at that spot now. I think essentially that our top 10 are the same 10. Just um, in a different order. Just in a slightly different order. So I had uh, Damian Lillard at nine. Yeah, so 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 Lillard's been incredible. As we know, his clutch stats are just unbelievable this year. He's shooting nearly 50, 56% from the field, 44% from three, and 100% from the free throw line in clutch situations. And Portland are 20 and 7 in, in those scenarios. So we've seen him carry Portland for a number of years. You know, in these clutch situations in the, in the regular season, this year he's averaging you know almost thirty points a game, four point three rebounds, and seven point eight assists. It's really interesting, actually, with Damian Lillard because everybody remembers his walk off shot a couple of seasons ago against OKC, which was just ridiculous. That that deep three where he you know, he stared at the camera and you know, Paul George said after after the game was a bad shot to take. Well, there's basically no bad shot that Lillard can take because. We know once he crosses half court, similar to to Steph Curry and Trey Young, the defense has to be honed in because they don't call him Logo Lillard for no reason. He can he can bomb away from anywhere. So because he bends the defense so much, he's such he's such a valuable offensive player. And as I said, we we remember that big shot against OKC in the playoffs, and he had one earlier in his in his career as well. I want to say it was against Houston uh, back when he was playing with Aldridge. So he does have these really big shots in the playoffs. But if you dig a little bit deeper at his playoff record, it's probably not as, as good as you would think. There, there's a couple of seasons ago, he's only the 18 points a game, uh, 35% from the field. He's, he's had series uh, where he's averaged, uh, sorry, shot, shot from the field, 40%, 36%, 35%, and 40%. So he, he's got the moniker of, you know, it's, it's Dame time, which, yeah, look, he, he does produce a lot of times. I ran through his clutch stats there, but... If if you dig dig a little bit deeper into his playoff stats, it's probably not as 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 good as you would have thought. But as I said, he's 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 had big moments in playoffs. I'll back him in, um, and that's why I've got him at number ten. Yeah, look, and I think he's still probably dining off a little bit the run they made um, just a season gone, um, not the one in the bubble, the one previous where they did get to the Western Conference Finals, albeit uh, swept by the Lakers. Uh, sorry, swept by the Golden State Warriors. They're able to get past OKC. And Denver in that in that best of seven series in the yeah, end. So and then, even during those playoffs, he was only at forty one percent from the field. So yeah, he, he certainly he was he was outstanding, and he was clearly the one that everyone was keying in on. But yeah, it's amazing how some guys get dinged for their for their playoffs performances. Like if you if you 
Marry him up against Steph Curry, who sort of gets hated on for his playoff record. Well, Steph's is clearly a better playoff record than Dame. Oh, but, no doubt. But, but yeah. Dame's considered to be, you know, it's Dame time and he's a guy in the clutch. It, it, it's a little bit bizarre. Oh, I think it's also, he's probably been a part of weak, weaker sides, really. I mean, obviously the Warriors have just had talent everywhere uh, through a fair portion of that run, whereas some of these Portland teams that Dame has carried deep into the playoffs certainly haven't been as um, as strong. They have had some really significant failures in the playoffs as well. I mean, obviously going out uh, the first round last year, they got swept by the uh, New Orleans Pelicans a couple of years ago, so they have had a couple of really significant playoff failures. But I think they they seem to always be a bit of a Cinderella story, or they you know where they you know might be sitting ninth in the West and they make a late charge to come into the playoffs, or they you know just battle their way through, or they you know win a tight series. So they've kind of got that bridesmaid sort of tag around them, which is why you know you, you do get on the back of them when they um, when they do well because you know they're in a smaller market. Dame has always had that chip on his shoulder that he has overlooked um, a number of spots in the draft. CJ McCollum's quite similar, so they've had this. Sort of back to back to against the wall mentality, which is um sort of fallen through into the way I suppose that we all we all follow Dame and the Trailblazers. Yeah, yeah, no doubt that that, that there's Lillard and McCollum are certainly an entertaining backcourt to watch. So that, that that probably does sort of lift them up in, or certainly Lillard up in a lot of people's rankings. So we've had the the say the top ten players obviously in a little bit of a different order, but it was interesting we had the same top ten. Who did you go with at number eleven? I've gone with Luka Doncic at number 11. <laughs> That's exactly why I had, but yeah, keep going. Well, I think, you know, he's obviously the one that, you know, hasn't had the exposure probably in the playoffs that, we you know, we want to see. And, you know, there's going to be plenty of time for that down the track. I think the Dallas Mavericks, while, while Luka Doncic is upright, is going to be really a playoff team. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad for them that they've been able to kind of get on a, bit, a, a few, you know, sneaky little runs throughout this season where they've been able to elevate themselves now into um, – up in the seventh seed and, and quite a gap between them and now Memphis in the eighth spot. So, look, they're going to have to be, um, even this season, not too cute because they really want to get into that guaranteed top six because, you know, you, you want to be avoiding that play-in game probably as much as possible. So if Dallas can kind of, you know, they're, what are they, a game and a half behind Portland for the sixth seed, uh, three games behind the LA Lakers for the for the fifth seed. So there's, there's every chance they might still only land in that seventh spot, which is going to be, Quite interesting to see how Luca can respond to that in that play in and then try and get into um into a, a best of seven matchup. And if it if they do end up in the seven and Phoenix end up in the two as it currently is sitting, then you know, I don't think Phoenix is gonna be sleeping too comfortably knowing they're gonna to have to go up against Luka Doncic in a in a best of seven series. Um, he's so dangerous, he's shown time and time again that he's prepared to, you know, carry the team on his back down the stretch and make the big shots. And, you know, I just remember clearly the game a few uh, weeks back against Boston where he hit not one but two incredible three-pointers under pressure. Step oh, back, massive, uh, weren't they? Yeah, right on in front of the opposition bench, basically. And, um, you know, that's the, the sort, of, sort of talent this bloke has got. And we, we're sort of all dying, dying to see it now consistently in big games. He's obviously just had the one run at the playoffs, which is last year. Uh, where they get rolled in the first round in, in six games, but they, you know, they put up a, a fair show, I thought, against the Clippers last year, and, and probably, you know, sucked a bit of life out of out of LA going into that next series. And some of his individual performances in that six game series, well, he had a forty two point game, a forty three point game, and a thirty eight point game. So he's ready, you know, he's clearly set for that stage. And there was one game he had the forty three points, seventeen rebounds, and thirteen assists in a win there Amazing against, stats the, against the Clippers. So you know, if that's the the sort of performances that you know he's capable of, then just exciting 
to see potentially down the track what he what he's going to be able to do, and he's going to be in the league for a long, long time. And you know, we, we expect so much of him so early because of of what he's been able to achieve early in his career. But I, I've got him sort of ahead of that next run run of players, and just based on you know, obviously current performance, he's having another brilliant season, averaging twenty eight point six points, the eight point eight assists and eight rebounds. So he's almost a, a, a thirty point triple double. Uh, that's the sort of level of player he's going to he's going to be, and um, yeah, I think he, he he sort of numbers stack up. Exciting prospect for the future of what we're going to see is um, he's going to be fantastic. It certainly is, and yeah, you, you've spoken you spoke really well there about how good he's been. For, so for a guy who's only in his third season, the numbers he's put up over last year and his second season, this year and his third season, you mentioned there almost a, a thirty point triple double. He ran through some of his playoff highlights last year against the Clippers. So for for that series, he averaged thirty one points a game, nine point eight rebounds, and eight point seven assists, and shot fifty thirty six and only sixty five percent from the free throw line, but but really efficient from the field. And and let's not forget against the Clippers who have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George who are considered to be well certainly Kawhi and Paul and Paul George as well, probably two of the best five perimeter defenders we've got. So it wasn't as if he was going up against, you know, some wet paper towels on defense. He had some of the best defenders in the league trying to shut him down and, and they couldn't do it. And we remember that big three hit to to win one of the games for him. So we know he's not scared at the moment. He's he's been playing professional ball for a long time. He was you know, a dominant player before he got drafted over in Europe. He's he's been good, you know, playing for his country as well. So he's one guy that that again I've said this a number of times about a lot of these players, but one guy I'm really looking forward to to seeing what he can produce in the finals. If we were doing this in let's say three years time, how high up this list do you think Doncic is going to climb? Do you think he could get all the way to number one within three years? Yeah, look, I think he's going to be. You know, if you're looking at the top of the list, we got you know the LeBron, KD, Curry's. Kawhi's Harden's look. You'd expect in three to four years, and surely at that point, some of those guys would have to be drifting down the order at that point. So I think it's certainly Doncic. It's going to be um, Giannis still at that point. Jokic and Bead. So yeah, they're going to be the guys fighting for the for those top four or five spots. I'd, I'd imagine, and I'd expect Doncic to almost be heading the pack. I think he's got that much um, potential. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think he'll be. Yeah, certainly. I think he'll be the number one player within three years. So, yeah, just an outstanding talent and and a a real joy to watch the way he goes about it. So, number 12 for me was Jimmy Butler. So, (laughs) is that who you've got as well? I've got him there as well. Uh, I'll let you um, uh, wax lyrical about your man from Miami. Yeah, that's amazing how this is turning out to be. I I promise we we didn't didn't talk about this at all before we got into this. But, so Butler this year is, is. he obviously missed a, a, a lot of games early on in the season, but but his year's been really good. So he's averaging the, the 21.5 points a game, career highs in, in rebounds and assists at 7.6 and 7.2 respectively, career high 48% from the field, only 20% from three, but he's basically parked that to the side. He's not taken too many of those. And the 84% from the free throw line and a career high 25.9 PER. So he's at the peak of his powers, I reckon. He's 30 to 31 years of age. And we obviously saw what he did last year for Miami in the playoffs. You know, he had some help certainly with Bam Adebayo and, and Goran Dragic was really good in the bubble as well. But we, we saw Butler drag Miami into the finals and then we remember that that huge game against the Lakers. I think it was game four where, where he was just absolutely exhausted. He had that huge triple-double and he just, he, just, he just willed Miami across the line. And he's, he's one of those players that you watch and he doesn't appear to be super quick. He's certainly really strong, but... 
you don't watch, you know, Jimmy Butler and he's not fluent. He doesn't fly through the air. He doesn't, you know, he hasn't got Kyrie Irving handles. He's he's not a great shooter. I said there he only shoots 20% from, from three this year. But he just gets a job done, doesn't he? He's just he's just a pure basketballer. He wants to he wants to get down and dirty. He, he gives absolutely everything. And you know, every time Butler goes out there, he's going to walk off the floor absolutely exhausted. He's going to going to empty that fuel tank, similar to the way Russell Westbrook used to play, but nowhere near as reckless as Westbrook. So that that's why I've got Butler here. His playoff series uh, last year, twenty one games, uh, twenty two points a game, six and a half rebounds, and six assists, and two steals. Shooting forty eight percent from from the uh, from the field, thirty five percent from three. He was actually shooting the three ball reasonably well last year during the playoffs, and eighty five percent from the line. So he's another one, a little bit similar to to Lillard. Who you know, uh, Butler's got this this reputation of being a big game performer in the finals. Now, now he's certainly done that uh, in Chicago in the past, but it, but he's had some series. Uh, during his career, where he hasn't quite performed at the level he probably hoped, but j- just the way he he handled himself uh, during the playoffs last year, given the way he's played this year and transformed Miami season since he's been there, their defense has, has been the second best defense in the NBA, and Miami have got right back on track. So he's one of those guys that really affect the way a team's played. He gives the team an identity, and and yeah, he he can carry a team really deep in a playoff series. So that's why I settled at Butler on number twelve. Yeah, he's, a, he's the perfect example of how stats don't tell the whole story, and he's been a bit like that all the way through his career, where he's you know ca- certainly capable of putting up potentially, you know, particularly big scoring numbers, but it, he doesn't do it night in, night out. But it's it, it doesn't really matter because his impact translates to wins when his heart's in the right place. He, you know, he's had some interesting stops. He obviously in Chicago became the team leader, then sort of shipped out of there. They didn't want to sort of commit the super max or any sort of max to him at that time, and he's ended up. You reckon they're you know, regretting that now, Caddy? Oh, it's, would, you'd probably think so. Like it was, you know, at the time you could probably understand the path they were looking to go down. Whether they thought he was the guy that could 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 be the leader and be the you know the best player on a championship team, he, he's shown that he's he's certainly capable of being at least close to that. But you know, Chicago at the time were were probably looking at the the salary he was going to be commanding to stay there. Um, and then you know they obviously cashed out and, and got Levine in and a couple of picks. So you know you had the Minnesota run, which was just um, turbulent at best, I would have thought. And then a really interesting season or so at Philadelphia, where you know on paper you'd think now looking back, him Simmons and Bead and and whatever else is getting thrown around there at the time would have certainly been just about enough, you know, to to take them all the way. And it just you it reckon just they would have been out. better given the money that they've given to Tobias Harris to Jimmy Butler. Like, that that's just. Uh... I guess a decision that's probably going to come back to haunt them if they don't go all the way for a title, isn't it? Yeah, well, the interesting thing I think with Butler is, um, you know, there's there's a real interesting off-court uh, leadership sort of thing going on with him. Is you know, you're either kind of you're his dog and you want to be there on the court with him, but then he he, he does obviously have clashes with either oh, he coaches. Can, he or, could be grading similar to Chris Paul. Yeah, yeah. So I think that that's where you know in that particular situation with you know Embiid and Simmons the up and coming. Stars that just didn't quite obviously gel well enough because yeah you think it's absolutely crazy that they that Philadelphia at that time yeah you, you had him in the team you could have paid him to stay and you know they essentially let him move on to to Miami and it's been the perfect fit for him down there and you know it was obviously a, a destination he was pretty keen to get to but um, he's made it work and and Miami's done an incredible job really putting putting pieces around him and drafting well, developing well, and now picking up guys at the fringes and even, you know, the Oladipo trade that they've just made now. There's another, you know, just another support player for Butler, you know, when when he doesn't have to be the man every game, there's other guys on the team that can do it and, and he is happy to play a secondary role when, when needed. 
Yeah, he certainly is. Yeah, he's one of those guys that yeah, you said there. He can, he can play a secondary role when needed. He doesn't demand that he takes the last shot or shoot the ball every time. So I think that's why he fits seamlessly in at Miami. But he certainly sets the tone for him. So moving on to number thirteen, I'll be really surprised if we've got the same guy here. <laughs> Who have you gone for at thirteen? Well, it's a, it's a, it was a tough one because you you know I'm looking at this year's standings and we wanted to have a bit of a playoff picture around it, but I, I couldn't go past Bradley Beal as the league's leading scorer. Um, you know, he's come off, you know, two really sensational years now where, you know, in last year scoring 30 and a half points a game, this year he's up again to 31.3. So the leading scorer in the NBA, you know, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's a shame what's happened to him in Washington sort of year on year. And, you know, it's some of the fault, you know, has to has to sit with him. But, you know, they just haven't been able to put competitive teams around him. Obviously, John Wall getting injured time and again, uh, just when things were looking to build in the right direction for Washington a few years back, you know, that all went and has gone pear-shaped. And as as interesting and exuberant as Russell Westbrook is, it, it, it just, it's at the, the time of, the, of his career at the moment, it's, it's just not helping translate uh, to winning. So I've got deal there. You know, if you want to look back at some of his playoff numbers, he's playing in, you know, four series at when he was with, uh, obviously with Washington. So, you know, he's been able to perform in the playoffs when they did have that, you know, really strong run back in 16, 17, where they got, got you know, all the way to a game, I think it was a game seven against Boston, um, which they, they lost in the end, but he, in the second round. But he was um, really a big factor in that series, averaging nearly 25 points a game. He, he averaged 23 points the last time he played the playoffs. And this is when he was a young man, you know, he's a much more mature uh, player now, and I think given the opportunity in the right team, um, you know, he'd sit comfortably um, as, as a big game player um, with, the, with the rest of these guys. Yeah, I, I didn't have him in my top 15. I'm a huge Bradley Beal fan. He's, he's been outstanding, certainly for my fantasy team over the last two years. So I, I love watching Brad, Bradley Beal play. He didn't make my top 15, as I said. He was just on the outside looking in, probably either 16 or, or 17. Um, his game has certainly gone to another level that the last two seasons. You mentioned there his scoring numbers, which have really ballooned. He's certainly matured. You know, when Wall went down with that injury, he 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 assumed the the driver's seat for Washington. But yeah, you mentioned there how how the the success hasn't quite come with that. Now, how much you can pin on Brad, Bradley Beal? the record of the Washington Wizards over the last couple of seasons, I'm not too sure. He certainly hasn't had the, the ideal cast around him this year with Westbrook, despite the fact Westbrook has started to put up some really big numbers. Westbrook always does that, and that's not always conducive to winning. So, there, that, that was a reason I didn't go with Beal, but I can, I can certainly understand the reason you would have Beal in the in your top 15. These last three spots for me were really difficult, and as I said, Beal just fell outside it for me, so I didn't quite have him in there. The guy I did have in, it's probably probably doesn't make a lot of sense given what I just said about Bradley Beal, but I, I ended up going with Zion Williamson at number 13, so... It's 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 probably a little bit premature, but I'm probably sort of looking a little bit in into the into the future. But the the numbers that, that Zion's putting up this year are unbelievable. Twenty six point four points a game, seven rebounds, three and a half assists, which has really gone up since the Pelicans have started to put the ball in his hands. Finally, Stan Van Gundy has realised that. Maybe the best way to get a basket is to give the ball to Zion, which he wasn't doing a lot early on in the season. So uh, over the last month, he's averaged 29 points a game at 65% shooting. And today he actually equaled Shaq's record for, for having 25 straight games with at least 20 points and shooting 50% from the field or, or better. So th- that's an incredible stat there. To be able to do that for, for 25 straight games, um, and we're forgetting the fact that he's only played 69 career games, which you 
which is unbelievable for a guy to be this dominant on the offensive end. Now, there's certainly question marks about what he brings to the table defensively, and I spoke about that earlier on in the season, and I thought he's a little bit disappointing on that end. I think he's improved a little bit on that end, and certainly his offensive game has, has flourished in, in the last couple of months, as I said, that now that they've they've actually put the ball in his hands. He's, he's, really, he's almost impossible to stop. He gets a quality shot nearly every time he gets it. If he misses it, his second jump is so quick. That, that that offensive rebound, and, and, he, and he just lays it back in softly. So, as I said, it might be a little bit of a reach to have Zion at 13, but I, but that's how, that's who I settled on there at the 13 spot. Did you did Zion make your top 15? or And if he didn't, how strongly did you consider him? Yeah, look, he, he wasn't there for me. I think, you know, when, when we're looking at it, we sort of had that, you know, that playoff sort of mentality in, in mind. It was sort of hard for me to sort of forecast how that's all going to look. And, you know, we mentioned before, you know, where we thought Doncic might be in three or four years. Well, I think Zion, quickly within three or four years, he'll be in that that echelon of players as well. I'm so excited to see, you know, his career progression. I just hope he stays healthy because, you know, he he kind of plays in in such a manner that you're just almost wincing every time he jumps and lands because um, he's so aggressive at the ring. Um, He's so powerful and, you know, you really want to see. that awkward running sort of limp when he's running. It looks like it's hurting him every time they run, doesn't it? Yeah, and he's wincing and doing all those type of things. So you, you just hope he gets a, a fair run at it because he is an excitement machine. He's a guy that we're going to be wanting to watch, you know, in the big games. And, you know, we, when I think we did our all-star selections a few pods ago, I, I sort of put him in at that time more because I just wanted to, wanted to watch him in, in that environment. And it was good to see him in there. And, and, and he looked a bit of a deer in headlights at the time. And I think for me that's probably why I just have, have left him out of, you know, this is a pretty elite list of, of players. And I think, you know, Look, his numbers stack up for this year, but I think you know we just want to see a bit more, a bit more from him, and I'm sure he'll be making plenty of those lists for years to come. Oh, he will. He'll be similar to Doncic in the next two to three years. You'd expect, given the health, you 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 mentioned there that you know there's certainly those health queries around him. He's been relatively healthy this year, so hopefully that can continue to be the case, and we can we can see Zion really flourish over the next couple of seasons. So on to the 14th slot. Who did you go with at number 14? Yeah, as you said, these last three, I, I, I was the same. I, I sort of, you could have raffled a few of them, but I've gone um, with a guy who, you know, gets gets whacked around a little bit in terms of what people think of him. But I, I just think his role in, in a league, Western Conference League team, a leading team, the Utah Jazz, is the Stifle Tower, Rudy Gobert. I just think Interesting, he's so interesting. Yeah, I just think it's a, a shout out to him because I just think he's so important to everything they do. And, you know, as much as he might not be the guy that's, you know, stuffing the stat sheet from a, you know, particularly from a scoring point of view, but I think, you know, having him in the middle, a, a genuine big man with a bit, with agility, who's a defensive anchor, he obviously can, you know, be really effective, you know, on the pick and roll and just screening up at the top, rolling back to the rim, lobbying, flicking passes back out um, to these shooters. It's such an important part of how they're set up and you know even just his his per game um, scoring numbers aren't nothing to sneeze at he's still averaging the 14.6 points he's up to 13.2 rebounds this year and nearly three blocks shooting the ball at 65 percent from the field uh, from the field that's a league leading uh, from that point of view so I just think you know if Utah are going to progress deep into this playoff series which I'm sure they're now expecting that um, they're capable of doing they're the number one team in the NBA at the moment with 38 wins, 12 losses. That's a 76% win rate. Um, they've gone on a number of, you know, really impressive runs. They're on, currently just lost a game now, but they're on a nine-game streak before that. Their home record at 22-2 and two is outstanding. And, and Go Bears just such a feature feature of it. So 
you know, he's not a, as sexy an option as I'm sure many of the other people are, but just from a stylistic point of view in, in what Utah are doing, uh, he's a defense, two-time defensive player of the year. He's made first-team all-defense four straight seasons. Um, I think he's the best rim defender in basketball. He rebounds in an elite clip, obviously, at both ends as well. And he's really durable, so he, he doesn't miss many games. And, and for a guy at his size, you know, there's a, a really you know checkered history of of players at his size, you know, being able to sustain you know long periods on the floor. But um, he's been able to do that so far uh, for Utah. And, you know, I think for them to, to push through and, you know, I'd expect them now to be a Western Conference finals team uh, based on the, the season that they've had. Well, they need Joe Bear playing at a really elite level, you know, and being able to stay on the floor is really important. So if they can find a way for him to do that um, down the stretch of um, really important playoff games, then that's going to be a real fill-up for, for Utah because he's such a dangerous player. You know, he's really he's more mobile than you think. His length, you know, he's a real equaliser in terms of changing annual angles and affecting shots. So uh, I stuck him in there as, as the number 14 most important player for this year. I like it. I, I didn't have him in my top 15. He, he was similar to Beal. He was just on the outside looking in, but you, you brought up all, all the points there that, that, that are really valid as, as to why he is so valuable. Utah obviously have the best record in the league. He's their most valuable player, despite the fact that Donovan Mitchell is obviously the most valuable offensive player, but Rudy Gobert the, will win the defensive player of the year, you would imagine, this year, and, and does certainly bring that pick-and-roll element to them uh, on the offensive end as well. The, the only reason I dinged him a little bit, and it might be a little bit unfair, I've just got that little slight question mark about whether he can be played off the floor in a playoff series. If, if a team goes small and stretch the floor, can he guard on the perimeter? That, that, that's the only little, and it's only a little question mark, but when we're talking about the absolute elite players in there, in the league, if you're splitting hairs and you've got a little bit of a question mark, you have to sort of ding them a little bit, but you brought up all the reasons there, so I'm not going to echo those. Go Bears, an outstanding player, and, and more than worthy of being in the top 15. I had him, as I said, just outside that, probably between maybe maybe about the 18 to 20, around about there. So, yeah, a worthy selection for you. For number 14, I had a guy, and you said that um, Rudy Gobert gets sort of unfairly criticised. This guy, for me, is actually the Ross Geller of the NBA, and that, that's Paul George. I think I think similar to Ross Geller, who actually I think is, is the second best character from Friends, which is a little bit controversial. He'd be, num- he'd be number two in my power rankings of, of Friends characters. But, uh, <laughs> but, but Paul George, I think everybody rem- remembers the, the bad things that Paul George has done. Um, obviously, last year in the playoffs, he, he he was in the playoffs. He, he was really bad uh, d- during the during the bubble. There, we rem- we remember him hitting the the side uh, the the back of the board a couple of times from from those three point attempts. But he's had some really big playoff performances as well. You know, his last season at OKC in the finals in the playoffs. Sorry, he was at twenty eight points a game, eight point six rebounds, and three point six assists. So he's he's had some some series at Indiana when he when he averaged twenty eight points and twenty seven points and. And we remember LeBron dapping him up uh, early on in his career when he, was at, when he was at Indiana. He had the season at OKC where he finished, I think, third in the NBA, second or, sorry, second or third in the, in, in the MVP. So I think he gets harshly judged. He, he's excellent on both ends. He's shooting the three ball at an, at an exceptional clip this year. As I said, he's a really good defender. And I think he teams up pretty well with Kawhi Leonard. And that's the reason why everybody sort of considers the Clippers to, to be a chance to win the title this year, despite the fact that they, they bombed out um, last year. So so for me, I, I settled on Paul, Paul George at number 14. Yeah, look, I... You know, he was the one I left out, really, as the top 15. And it's for those reasons, I think, you know, he's a guy that 
you know, people do um, sort of expect more from. And I'm probably just sitting in that camp as well. I think even when we spoke about um, All-Stars, I still had question marks at that time whether, you know, he should even be considered at that point. But, you know, his numbers are really, really strong again. I think, you know, some of the knocks are, you know, we still have memories of Joe Ingles shutting him down, you know, in a playoff series a few years ago where he, um, I think it was in the game six, he, he went two for 16 and then Ingles was all over him at, at that point um, and led them and led the Utah Jazz to a, a win in that series. But, yeah, look, Paul George is a really interesting character within the NBA because he's got so much talent. He was an MVP, almost a favourite, you know, midway through the 2019 season. He's got that much talent. You know, the Clippers clearly went after him for a reason. They clearly then invested heavily in him longer term for a reason. And, you know, he's continued really to get better almost year on year since um, since he first came into the league. So, um, yeah, hard to dispute his ranking there for you. You know, I probably am in the camp that I want to see him, you know, probably put it together more consistently in a playoff series, um, help, you know, in this case, help Kawhi Leonard, you know, drive that Clippers team that has so much talent on paper. They really should be a better, I think, a better team than what they are. When those two guys got together, seemingly it was almost going to be unstoppable um, and it just hasn't quite translated there, albeit, you know, they're, they're sitting in a really strong position in the West at the moment as well in the third seed. They're going to be thereabouts again and, and you know, Outside of them basically collapsing like they did last year, then you know they're going to be riding it to their to their eyeballs um, deep in the season, and, and they're going to need Paul George to to stand up and and help facilitate that for sure. So maybe not a big fan of Paul George, but are you a big fan of Ross Gallicatti? That's what I'm interested in. Well, I'm more of a Chandler Bing man myself, and it's probably more for the fact that um, I, I have had a numerous references <laughs> over the years to to looking a little bit like Chandler Bing, and I don't know whether it's because of the. Um, the many sort of fat seasons he had on friends where he'd either come out of rehab or drank too much frog that year and sort of blew up in the in the neck and got, he got a bit Sean Kempish at stages, didn't he? Yeah, so whether that's where the, the reference for me has come from, but now I do get a bit of Chandler Bing and, and I always enjoyed um a bit of his humour. Not that I, you know, really loved him getting together with Monica, you know, late in those seasons because oh, I, I let, thought let's he was not a let's lot not talk fun. about Monica Gallagher, the Yoko Ono of uh, of of the friends characters there. She tried to bring Chandler down, who's clearly the number one uh, friends character, no doubt about it. But <laughs> she tried to bring him down, Caddy, but she couldn't quite get him down. No, well, let's. Um, I think we might have to have a have an offshoot of this podcast and just do a bit of a French recap one day. I'm sure the viewers or the listeners would really appreciate that. I'd be more than happy to do that, and I know another person who'd be very happy to do that, and that's your brother Patrick, who is a is a massive <laughs> friend fan. So maybe we can tee up a bit of a friends recap at some stage. Uh, so the last spot in the top fifteen, who did you settle on, Caddy? Well, I ended up just doing it out of respect in the end, and it was for Chris Paul at the Phoenix Suns. I just think everywhere I had the Chris same. Paul goes, uh, winning kind of follows, albeit he hasn't been able to um, you know, hold that um, elusive championship trophy aloft at this stage. But I don't think a lot of it's been really because of him. I think you know it's just been a bit of bad luck, if anything. Uh, he, he carried some pretty ordinary uh, New Orleans uh, Hornets team at the time into some playoff series as a young player. He then obviously had... Some, you know, interesting, well, really interesting years at the Clippers and then again at the Houston Rockets. He took the OKC Thunder last year from basically nowhere into, into the playoffs and, and made a real fist of that. And then look at what ha- has happened at Phoenix this year as the number two seed in the West at the moment. So for all 
you know, Chris Paul's criticisms as well from not being able to deliver the, the ultimate in the playoffs. I think, you know, year on year, he puts himself in a position uh, to take his team as, as far as really humanly possible. And if not for a hamstring injury he got in that Houston series against the Warriors, that, you know, they were every chance to just about take down the greatest team of all time. So injuries have come at always at a bit of a bad time for him. It's never been opportune when he, when he has, has got hurt. But I think, you know, you, you look at some of his playoff um, numbers, you know, you, it's really hard to criticise what Chris Paul's done at the pointy end of the season. Yeah, no doubt. I've also got Chris Paul at number 15. So we, we ran out the 15 with, with the same player. So you, you mentioned there that wherever Chris Paul goes, winning seems to follow. So this year, obviously, Phoenix are second in the West at 34 and 14. They're fifth in defensive rating. Now, they've jumped up from 17th last year. Now, Chris Paul obviously isn't the sole reason, but he, he's he's basically the head of the snake there, controlling everyone. He talks all the time. He, he's, he's, he's made DeAndre Ayton a much better defender, so he can take a little bit of the credit for that. And you look at his numbers this year, and they don't sort of really jump off the page at 16 points a game. 4.7 rebounds and 8.7 assists, but but he's he's really lifted this team and 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 to get this Phoenix team, everyone thought they would be a a playoff team this year. They obviously finished really strongly in the bubble last year, but they had Chris Paul and to jump up into second place that that just really illustrates that Chris Paul's a winner. And as I said at the start of the podcast, I was gonna rank uh, playoff success really highly. Now, we, we know and we sort of remember those playoff failures and brain fades he's had, but if you look at Chris Paul's career, he's averaged 18.4 points, 4.5 rebounds and, and 9.4 assists, and you look at his playoff stats, he's averaged 21 points a game, 5.2 re- rebounds and 8.3 assists. So you want you want your best players to elevate their play in the playoffs, and, and, and there's no question that's what Chris Paul has done, despite the fact he's got some of these... Uh, playoff failures, if you want to call them that. Uh, you mentioned that the fact that you know when he did his hamstring, that they were right on the on the brink of knocking off one of the greatest teams of all time. So imagine Paul doesn't get injured, they go through, they win the championship. He, his reputation would have been elevated by so much, and he's one of my favourite players. So I'm probably a little bit biased towards him. I've always loved watching him right from the time he he entered the league, and when he when he teamed up with the Clippers, he was a real joy to watch. Despite the fact that similar to Jimmy Butler, he probably grates on his teammates a little bit, but that's just because he's such a competitor. He's always looking for that little edge, that little advantage to to try and get his team over the line. And when you get into a seven game final series, they're the kind of players you want. So that's why I settled on. Chris Paul, despite the fact he's obviously in the twilight of his career and not quite playing at the level that he was early in his career, where he was, you know, a top five player comfortably, in my opinion, in the NBA, I'll, st- I'll still ride with Chris Paul, and I had him at the, at the 15 spot there. So, at the end of the day, Caddy, we had a really similar list. We only had two players different in the 13 and 14 spots. Who, who were some of the players? Were there, were there a couple of players that that uh, that you really considered strongly that just missed the cut for you? Yeah, well, I had um, Chris Paul's running mate, Devin Booker, sort of in that sort of next group as well. I think what he's been able to do as a, as a pure scorer, you know, in, in, in bad teams really, you know, I'm really enjoying what he's been able to do, you know, and continue to do now in a winning team. And I think that's, you know, the sort of thing we're looking for someone like Zach Levine to follow suit in the next couple of years to sort of show, yeah, I've been a, a really top scorer in the league. I'm capable of doing that, but now I'm can do it in a winning team and be able to sort of share a lead role and facilitate as well. So he's a guy I had there. I think Jason Tatum's a guy that we're going to be talking about in this sort of, you know, in these sort of lists, you know, going forward. I mean, 
probably for me one of the most disappointing players. And you know, we've spoken about him on the pod a fair bit this year, Carl Anthony Towns. He should really should be in these lists. He should have been, you know, following that same trajectory and then Bede and Joe Kitch and these type of guys who are now talent wise, he's clearly in the top fifteen, isn't he? Yeah, so he should be now embedded in, into this type of list, but it just hasn't kind of come out. So they're the sort of players, you know, Ben Simmons, probably another one that, that you'd consider as well. How about you? Is there any others that we haven't mentioned that you would have thrown in there? Yeah, Kyrie Irving for me. I mean, he's he's been in outstanding form all season, you know, playing with Harden and you know, not much with Durant. But you, you can see, and we saw it yesterday, the, the incredible game Irving had. When he's, when he's on... Some of the shots he hits and, and his handle, it's it's just absolutely incredible. It's like somebody playing a video game. And we've seen him, you know, do it at Cleveland where he hit that big shot to, to, to sink the Warriors there. So I had Irving, uh, Irving on the outside looking in just, you know, we've already mentioned Beal and Gobert. I had both of those. I also had Devin Booker just missing out and Jason Tatum as well. And and and, and even someone like Bam Adebayo, again, it's probably my Miami bias coming through, but someone who can anchor your defense and obviously be a really good threat on the offensive end as well. So I think what what this you know, we, we we've thrown out a lot a lot of names, but I think it just really illustrates how strong the position the league is in at the moment. There's a lot of top end talent and it's gonna be a really exciting uh finish to, to the NBA season, I think. Absolutely. And then, you know, underneath that I think there's even, you know, a lot of a lot more depth in terms of the young players coming through when we talk about guys like Morant and Jalen Brown and De'Aaron Fox and Brandon Ingram. So there's a number of talented players um, you know, just looking to sort of hit that next part of their career, and then obviously a really exciting draft class coming coming through as well. So the league's in great shape. Um, it's a, a you know, it's always a, a star driven league, and and none more so than than currently at the moment. And it's so important. Really, you you, you really notice it when some of these guys get hurt, and there's a a big game, you know, or a nationally televised game, you know, a TNT game, and there's you know a few of them not playing. It just sucks life out of it, really. And, uh, the league need the stars on the court, and they're lucky enough at the moment that they run pretty deep. Yeah, the, the NBA, more, more so than any sport, you know, certainly in America and probably worldwide, do, do a fantastic job of promoting their stars, don't they? And and, and obviously the basketball is one of those sports because there's only five players from each team on the court where stars have such a big influence. But, yeah, you mentioned there that when the stars are out of these TNT and ESPN games that it does suck the life out of it. So kudos to the NBA for for pumping up the stars so much and, and giving them so much publicity and dri- driving the sport that way because I think it's a really good way to go about it. So th- so that was a bit of fun. As I said, to, to have 13 of the of uh, the same players in the top 15 either means we're we're really good judges or we've got no idea what we're talking about. So hopefully it's the former. Um, hopefully everyone enjoyed, enjoyed the conversation we've just had. As I say every week, thank you so much to everybody who continues to, to download uh, the podcast. We've just stated it started a Facebook page as well. So if you can search for us on Facebook and like that page as well and, and, and the episodes will also get posted on there when they come out and maybe you can share it with some of your friends a bit more easily through through the Facebook medium as well. So thank you very much for listening and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you.